On this episode of the Golf Shake podcast, we reflect upon the recent golfing odyssey to St Andrews with three Golf Shake prize winners. And on the eighth minute of the recording, we look back at playing the famous championship course at Carnoustie, discussing the challenges of that particular layout, the bunkering, and its treacherous finishing stretch, and also what to look out for during this year's Open Championship in July. And on the 33rd minute of the podcast, we chat about the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth. Has the event lost its stature? And how might next year's change to the schedule could just be the making of it? That's what you can expect from this week's Golf Shake podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake podcast. We are back and indeed I think it's fair to say that summer, I guess, late spring, whatever you want to call it, has finally sprung in the UK. We've had some really consistently dry and sunny weather over the past week or two and that has been reflected in your interest in the Golf Shake score tracker. We're seeing huge a huge response and a real deluge of golfers tracking their stats and recording their rounds and keeping track of their handicaps and their games. And uh, we would certainly encourage you to keep doing that uh, throughout this week and going forward as the forecast looks pretty good to continue uh, in a positive manner for the week ahead, which is obviously a great sign for golf because it was a pretty horrid winter and frankly, even early spring. So this is a real boost for the golf industry and for golfers themselves trying to get back out there and play. And of course, fitting into that theme, we're back with the Golf Shake podcast. We've been away for a while now, but now we're back in position and we have a lot to discuss. And uh, with my good friend here and colleague, uh, Mr. Owen Davis, who joins me, Uh, he's been on many adventures in the past month or so. One of them actually brought him up here to St. Andrews, where he actually encountered me. My goodness, he tried to avoid me, but he, he couldn't escape me forever, and I was here, and I tracked him down. So, Owen, welcome to this week's Golf Shake podcast. How are you? I'm good, Kieran. Um, recovering from my trip and seeing you in St. Andrews, it was uh, a traumatic affair at times, but uh, yeah, I'm back. So, uh, back home now after a lot of travelling recently, and uh, yeah, looking forward to another podcast. Yes, indeed. And uh, obviously, we'll, we will start with that trip to St Andrews. And it wasn't just a jolly for Owen to come up and see me here. And it was, it, we were there actually with a purpose. And that was um, to do with a golfing odyssey, which was a thing that we had in Golf Shake fairly recently uh, with Odyssey Golf and also Links. But we have also involved the St Andrews Links Trust as well. And three very lucky Golf Shake winners uh, embarked on their very own golfing odyssey. They were plucked from the hat. And they came to the home of golf, St Andrews, with Golf Shake, where they enjoyed an Odyssey Golf Experience Day in the shadows of what I think is fair to say is the most iconic destination in the game, taking that dream opportunity to walk in the footsteps of history and to discover which putter is right for them. We had Peter, Pete and Colin, and they were their keen Golf Shake members. And they've actually combined the track over 2,000 rounds on the website. So very keen golf shakers. And uh, they had the opportunity to go uh, to the Lynx Academy at St Andrews. And they got a putter fitting from Odyssey Golf. And the masterclass, putting masterclass from the head professional at uh, the Academy, Steve North. 
So a great experience for them. They also had some golf thrown in uh, at the on the the, uh, the new course at St Andrews, the, the oldest new course in the world, as the cliche goes. And they also had time. They spent time staying at the Fairmont St Andrews, where they played some golf there too, and enjoyed some superb hospitality. Uh, a very fine hotel just outside the main town itself. And of course, finally, they actually had an opportunity to uh, sample the iconic and just uh, thrilling. A Himalayas putting course, which is also the kind of the the original and I think best crazy putting course. They loved that, and it was a great great fun to do it. And that's some pretty decent weather that week as well. So, Owen, tell us a little bit. But I've obviously went through kind of the run through as to what they did when they came here. But what was kind of the the premise around a golfing odyssey? Where did that kind of term come from? Obviously, with Odyssey Golf, but what was kind of the angle that Golf Shake and Odyssey were going for with this experience? Yeah, I know you've got all your plugs in there for all the places we stayed, Kieran, so uh, thumbs up on that just one. Tick, just ticking the boxes and you know, that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah no, it was um, just born out of uh, the idea about how we tell a story with, with Odyssey um, about putter fitting and, and how we could make that as interesting as possible. And and obviously, we've you know, Odyssey I means journey, and we just we just thought that bringing them to the home of golf and and the amazing facilities that got up there at the Lynx Trust uh, was a great way to tell that story about an Odyssey putter fitting. So uh, we recorded all this on camera. And there was quite a lot of social stuff uh, out there, and there's there's a there's a post on the site as well, and we'll put a link below uh, that if you if you're watching this or listening to this, sorry, online. Uh, we'll make sure that we get a link to you for that as well. So yeah, it was just a, just a way of doing that with Odyssey. I think it worked uh, it worked really well. The guys had a great time, and hopefully over the next uh, month or so, you'll be able to see some of this content. Um, you know about putter fitting and why putter fitting is so important and such uh, for me a massively underrated uh, aspect of getting the right equipment uh, for, for your average golfer. Um, you hit you know more part more putts in around than any other you know use that club more than any other uh certainly over your lifetime you obviously use it loads and loads of loads um they're not the most expensive pieces of equipment but it's so it's really important that you get them right and uh you can definitely definitely shave shots off your game uh by doing so so it was a real eye-opener not just for the for the readers but i think leave you know i think for me you um darren our colleague who was up there as well uh, watching it, I think it was uh, it was great to see them improve their putting as a result of doing that fitting uh, and getting the right putter for them. So yeah, it was it was a good few days. Uh, it certainly was, and I said it earlier there. You know, they had the the chance to get that putter fitting. You know, they got also got the master class from the academy professional there. But then, of course, their nerves were shattered by the Himalayas putting course. So obviously, the the good work there might have been undone by the the mental trauma of trying to navigate those incredible slopes. And if you haven't been to St Andrews, uh, the the Himalayas putting course is is quite a remarkable piece of land, and they're very creative with the pins and hole hole positions they have there. And it's uh, it's great fun to go and play. And actually, that's one of the bits of content we'll have actually additionally to the, the overall uh, package from this. Obviously, as Owen said there, we'll have plenty of features on putter fitting. Also have a, a tuition content as well with uh, Steve North himself, the head professional. And then there'll be actually some kind of fun features too around the Himalayas putting course and uh, also the Fairmont courses. And also the guys went and played the new course at St Andrews and we'll have uh, some stuff on that too. So yeah, it was a great great week for those guys it was good fun and uh, you know much to kind of reflect upon and yeah there'll be lots lots of content coming on onto golf shake in the, the coming weeks as we build into the summer and uh, lots to look back on and also 
on this week's podcast, we will be talking also, in addition to this, we also have coming up a discussion about the championship course at Carnoustie, which, as Owen and myself haven't yet mentioned, during that week when Owen and indeed Darren, our colleague and the dear leader, were actually up here, they we all, we all had the opportunity to actually go and play Carnoustie itself. It's kind of a separate thing to go and see those facilities there. They take on the course that will host this year's Open Championship with the grandstands kind of in place partly. So it had that kind of open feel to it. And we had a good chance to go and take on those holes and play what is regarded as being perhaps the most difficult championship course, certainly in the British Isles. And uh, we'll, we'll let you know later on this podcast how that uh, how we fared there, how we got on and um, what we felt, what we took away from Carnoustie and what we have to look out for when we get towards the Open in July. And of course, we'll also have to mention the BMW PGA Championship, which is this week, of course, from Wentworth, always an iconic event on the European calendar and also really European Tour calendar and, and indeed the British sporting calendar. Uh, but has the event lost a little bit of its luster? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit shortly. But Owen, coming to you, Firstly, obviously we're looking at Carnoustie itself, and we had the chance to go there at the end of the golfing holiday. The guys enjoyed their experience. They went home, and as a little kind of little added bonus, we took the short drive from St Andrews across the the river tail, the the Tay estuary, really, uh, over towards Angus to go and uh, play Carnoustie. So, oh, and obviously Carnoustie is obviously it's a legendary golf course, has a great history to it, has a real reputation being obviously extremely difficult and challenging but a fairly solid and fair test at the same time of course we've seen it on television in the past you know we've seen, we know we know it fairly well we've read about it so when you step onto the onto Carnoustie uh, oddly enough we played it over two nights or a night and then the following morning played the front nine at night and the back nine the following morning it's a little bit unusual but the conditions were very good particularly on the, on the evening which was stunning it was a glorious evening there Friday morning was a little bit more difficult in terms of the wind and a bit kind of more overcast. So, Owen, what were you? What were your kind of impressions uh, of Carnoustie before you got there? What did you expect from that golf course? Um, I expected it to be hard, uh, tough test of golf. Uh, I didn't expect it to be um, one of the great great courses that I've played. I think um, its reputation. Maybe maybe is it being too hard at times? Um, you know, kind of led me to believe that. And I don't think it actually looks that great on TV. Sometimes as a Lynx course, it doesn't have the big dunes that some of the other courses have. It doesn't have the history and the iconic um, stuff that, that, you know, St. Andrews has. Um, even the small kind of iconic huts and uh, starters huts at St. George's, it doesn't have that for me. So I wasn't... I wasn't um, I was actually really, really looking forward to it. It's obviously a great golf course, so uh, that was my first, that was my pre-impression of going there. Obviously, really looking forward to the test, um, but um, thinking that I wouldn't maybe like the golf course that much, actually. Okay, right. So obviously, you played the front nine, and and those spectacular evening conditions that we had there. It was lovely. There was no wind. Sky was blue. It was perfection. We faced yeah. the pressure of having a group of folk behind us in the first tee, watching us tee off. And actually, oddly enough, all three of us hit pretty decent drives off the first tee. So the pressure was on and we delivered. So, And there was actually a little boy standing there with his phone out uh, recording a swing. So maybe in 20 years' time, he could be an <laughs> open champion and they'll ask him, hey, David, 
what inspired you to take up golf? Well, you know, I saw these three guys at Carnoustie and they hit off the first tee and they looked like they were enjoying themselves and they looked like they were actually quite good. So that's what inspired me. So that obviously we could be inspirational figures to that little guy. However, playing that front nine in those conditions, though, and obviously in, in the kind of low evening sunlight, the course, all, every golf course looks at its best, I think, at that time of day in those conditions where obviously all the kind of undulations and so on are kind of illuminated in the low sunlight and it looks a real picture. And of course, the golf course was at that time uh, fairly gettable in those conditions. So you said that you didn't really, on television, it doesn't look that spectacular. But in those conditions, on the ground itself, did you yeah. change your view on that when you were there? Yes, Yeah, I did. I did, definitely. I, I was, um, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. I know, starting from a very high basis, I don't, uh, don't think I'm not talking that it, I already knew it was a great golf course. It, it, I knew it was going to be a great golf course, but I didn't know it was going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, prettier golf course than I thought yeah. as well. I think the holes are laid out in front of you really, really well. And actually around the turn, when it almost turns a bit, Heathlandy in places, some pine trees, definitely a bit of heather around. Uh, reminded, reminded me of Southport Nainsdale in a way, um, actually, in, in places. Um, it, it, uh, it really turned into a great golf course, and it's going to be it's going to be a brilliant open. But, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, actually. I think that, that setting in the evening, somewhere we had the course to ourselves, um, you know, it was, it was millionaire's golf, wasn't it? You know, cliche, I know, but it was literally, yeah, literally millionaire's golf having the course to ourselves and playing in, in those conditions. So, yeah, it was, it was great fun. It certainly, it certainly was. And obviously the golf course itself uh, has become, you know, known for being difficult. And much of that difficulty comes back to the bunkering at Carnoustie, which has been quite spoken about through the years. You know, there used to be quotes from guys like Harrington, who of course won there in 2007, and Ernie Ells and so on, who all said that it was the best bunkered golf course in the world. And interestingly, Tom Watson, who won the 1975 Open at Carnoustie, he was actually back there last week playing in a RNA Patrons Day, and he commented on the golf course itself. And he said, and I quote, Carnoustie is one of those courses where the bunkers are in play and you have to challenge them. If you play short and safe, you're too far away to be effective in getting the ball close to the hole. Now, would you say that Carnoustie, from what you experienced on those uh, that morning and that night, did Carnoustie fit that criteria of being a golf course that the bunkers off the tee were very much in play and you had to take them on, otherwise your approach shots would be extremely difficult? Yeah, I'd agree with Elsa. I think it's the best bunkered course I've ever played. Um, I think it's fair enough. There's enough space and room. I think Lytham, I know they've taken a lot of bunkers out of Lytham. I think that's unfairly bunkered in a lot of places and too difficult. And, the, you know, a lot of them are hidden. You don't realise they're there. You kind of think you've hit a good shot. You're in a bunker and you're popping out sideways. These, you can see them all at Carnoustie, but they are both side of the fairways. And I think... You're perfectly right. You've got to challenge them if you want to hit wedges into those greens. I think the green complexes were actually quite difficult. Um, They'll look flat on TV. Believe me, they'll look flat on TV. They are not flat. Um, I think there's a lot of slopes coming off the shoulders of the bunkers and in between the bunkers, there's a lot of runoff areas and and those kind of spines off the shoulders of the bunkers feed into the middle of the greens. I think it's really difficult green complexes to get the ball close. And, you know, running the ball in from distance, having laid up short of the bunkers is going to be really, really difficult to do. And you're just going to run off those kind of upturned saucer areas all the time. So you need to be going in with a shorter iron if possible. Uh, so you're going to have to take the bunkers on. So someone who drives the ball straight um, 
is going to be a good bet for for this year's Open for sure. You're going to have to have a great tee game um, this time round, uh, and and then and then you've got a chance. You've definitely got a chance. It definitely gives you chances. Uh, I think you know. Obviously, it depends what the weather's going to do, but you, you've definitely got some birdie chances out there. So um, yeah, interesting design certainly one of the better design golf courses I think I've ever played. So just kind of follow up on the the point you mentioned there about fair bunkering and unfair bunkering why is Carnoustie there for what makes the bunkering on that golf course for a player like you of of a a very good standard obviously for for mere mortals like me all bunkers are kind of terrifying anyway so trying to avoid them and uh, but what in in the kind of the strategy of approaching a hole what makes a golf course well bunkered compared to unfair bunkering? Well, I think as long as it gives you a chance. So I think a lot of Lynx courses uh, get very firm, uh, have a lot of mounding in the fairways. So you can hit a good shot on the line you meant to, kicks into a bunker, feeds into the bunker. While, they, while the, the bunkers do gather at Carnoustie, the fairways are very flat. So, you know, if you hit it at the bunker, it will stay going into the bunker and it will go in the bunker. If you hit it down the middle of the fairway, it's not going to bounce sideways mm. off into a bunker. So you hit a good shot, you get rewarded for it. You hit a bad shot, it turns out to be a bad shot and it'll go in the bunker. Um, I think the other thing is with them is they're not pot bunkers as such. So they're not sunken into the ground. So you can't just drop into them and then you've got no stance. They are, they've are they got very big lips in front of you, but you roll into them. So if you misjudge it and you just trickle into the bunker, you've got a chance to progress the ball quite a long way up the fairway if you're a good fairway bunker player. If you misjudge it badly and you run in, you're right up against the face, you've got to splash out. So all along the way, if you hit a bad shot, you misjudge something, you're going to get punished more than if you just slightly misjudged it or you hit a good shot. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of fair bunkering. All right. Okay. Well, well, it makes perfect sense. And I think that most players would certainly appreciate Carnisty for that reason. And we'll see that obviously showcased in July. And indeed, there'll also actually be a video that Owen's put together on the bunkering at Carnisty. Uh, on Golf Shake and on the YouTube channel coming up towards the open part of a little series we have there uh, from Carnoustie as well. And actually, p- much of that series is built around uh, the last few holes at Carnoustie, which are kind of renowned as being an extremely challenging and, and very difficult test. Obviously, we've seen players in the past, don't have to mention their names, obviously, Van de Velde and Garcia and Harrington, indeed, they all had kind of issues with the last few holes at Carnoustie as they went on to try and win the Open and uh, complete the Championship. And uh, this shows that really no lead is particularly secure when you come to the last few holes at Carnoustie. You know, the 16th hole is a very long par three, very challenging, uh, really essentially because of its length also. Uh, probably the, and also the green's kind of un, un, un unusually kind of uh, tilted and shaped and it's very hard to keep the ball on the green, particularly coming in with a obviously a longer club. And um, and, and famously Tom Watson, who of course uh, won the Open there, as I said earlier, back in 75, his first Open win on his Open debut. He, during that championship, he played that hole five times, four times in the, tour, in the championship and then one, once more in the playoff. And, and he bogeyed it every single day. And uh, that kind of underlines how challenging that hole is. Then you have the 17th, which is a very tough par four. It has this, the, the fairway is kind of on an island surrounded by the Barry Burn. And they have to really think about what you're doing. We're going to place the ball off the tee. 
Uh, will you take on the burn and try and get an easier second shot in? Or will you lay back and have a harder approach shot into that green? So a really, a really tough four as well. And then, of course, the 18th, which is just uh, an, an extraordinary hole, really. I mean, it's just, you know, some sort of twisted genius put that one together, I have to say. You know, obviously a hole that's uh, out of bounds all the way up the left-hand side. It measures 500 yards in the championship tee. And the out of bounds when you get towards the green is astonishingly close to the green, which of course fall, slopes away towards that left hand side. And of course the burn cuts in twice on the fairway and also short of the green. So it's a really, really tough hole. How aggressive you're going to be. A lot of people when they miss a fairway will simply just lay up there and take their chances of a chip and a putt. But of course, you could be Owen Davis and uh, try and take that second shot on for Freewood. And uh, I must say, you know, the cliche is fortune favours the brave. And I think actually, Owen, in that instance, <laughs> it rung true. It did. It did. I uh, had a long way in. It was tough. I th- I, on the last three holes, I think it's going to be controversial. I think they were great, great three holes. But I think you've got to be sensible about how you set the course up. And I think they're almost too hard at times. But it's kind of what, Sets kind of you know it's the signature of Carnoustie, so it might be a bit harsh, but there's certainly, I think sixteen and eighteen, eighteen in particular is just brutal as a whole. Uh, I, you know we played it off the championship tee into fifteen mile an hour breeze, something like that. Um, I hit a good drive. I'm not the longest player by any means, but you know the, the average guy on tour would be longer than I'm hitting it. But I, you know, I hit it two fifty up there into that breeze. Uh, I still had 250 yards to go. 499 yards it was off the backs. Um, Burn was 227, I think, if I remember rightly, to carry. So for me, that's get you through without hit it as hard as you can. And I was very lucky in that. I just pulled it a little bit. It wasn't a bad shot at all, but it bounced off an out of bounds uh, post back in bounds, and I managed to make my par. So it was uh, it was quite lucky. But it is so hard. I think if I was playing a tournament, there I w- it would have been layup all day long. Uh, pretty much, you've got to, you're gonna have to lay it up, and then the pitch actually up the green, um, has been as has been demonstrated by some of the pros over the years, really isn't that difficult. Um, so I think if you play, if you see it into that sort of wind, you'll see quite a few players lay up and then pitch on and take six out of the equation or worse, uh, and and settle for a five or a four. Mm, yeah, well, but it is a brutal, brutal hole. Oh, it certainly is, and uh, I can certainly attest to that. Having the way I played that hole, what I, what I did, you know, I did do the layup thing. Admittedly, after three shots, but I did lay up. Then I pitched on, and then three putted. So there we go. That was a. I made seven, the same score as uh, Jean Van der Velde did back in 1999. Although he did it a little bit more spectacularly and theatrically, I, I sort of did it kind of a, with a, a sequence of just. Mediocrity, really, Plod, all the way. Plodding. You plodded to a seven. I, plo- I plodded to a seven, yes. But of course, actually, this is this is kind of obviously listeners. This this is actually the first time that myself and Owen have actually played golf together. And uh, obviously, I, I was extremely. Well, actually, was I impressed by Owen's game? Obviously, Owen's got a big reputation. You know, he's he's you know he's played county golf. He's been a professional. He got a plus one handicap, and you know, Owen. I've got to say, from the time we played, I was somewhat, you know, I was kind of not unimpressed, but I wasn't blown away by what you did, how you did it, you know. However, when when you actually added up the scores, I thought that's pretty good actually. But yeah, you, you did it in a very kind of, I say, not the most explosive way. You just, yeah, I think that's fair. That's a reasonable uh, sort of 
way to describe my case. Yeah, it was very, you know, it's, it's actually, it's something that's more impressive looking back than what it was at the time. And I mean that in the best possible sense. So it was, uh, you know, again, to see someone of Owen's quality up close on a golf course like that, you do get to see it through his eyes. I'm only kind of teasing him there, but, you know, you see it through their, you know, a, a good player's eyes, the way they approach it, the way they hit the shots and uh, how the, the holes can open up with a good drive and so on. And it, it is a, a bit of an eye opener in that respect. You get a far better kind of appreciation for how a golf course will play, particularly in an event like the Open, uh, playing with somebody like Owen. But I must flip it round. Oh, I, I can take it, but you know, you've heard my my game's reputation. I've kind of talked about it in the past and how I I can't play the first hole in the old course at St Andrews and that kind of thing. So, what was your impression of my my golf game? Oh, I, I was pleasantly surprised, Kieran. To be honest, I thought uh, I thought I thought you could get it round. I mean, uh, it would take a while and a lot of shots, but you definitely got it round. So uh, you weren't daunted at any point, but. Uh, I don't quite know how you make eight up the first at St Andrews every single time. I think it's 123 yards wide, that fairway. Yeah. I think I saw something yeah. on a poster in the Jigger Inn saying it's 123 yards wide, uh, which is quite it's quite impressive because you don't often manage to hit it 123 yards. So to t- <laughs> it's... Uh, just, just, sorry. Just, when, just when I thought he was going to be quite nice for a change, you had to just, you had to ruin it, didn't you? You had to ruin it by bringing it all up and then putting me down again. You see, I, t- I can take these hits all the time. I see, I thought it was actually going to be complimentary about my game, and then he kind of was, but then he kind of took it back. So, oh well. But yes, actually, as I keep telling you, I would never miss the fairway on the first at St Andrews if the fairway was sixty yards wide. Never, I would never miss it. It's because it's so wide, and psychologically, your brain's telling you there's no way you can miss this. It's the biggest fairway ever. It's too easy. But then, of course, your your brain works in mysterious ways, and somehow that's exactly what happens. So, the funny thing is, I probably hit more fairways at Carnistown than I ever would at St Andrews, which is bizarre, given fairways at Carnistown. That is that is weird. Yeah. <laughs> fairways at St Andrews are essentially two holes wide every single time. So, but there we are. So yes, you know, I I, I can get the ball around a golf course in a you know on my day in a respectable fashion. And actually, on my day, Owen, you wouldn't want to give me seventeen or eighteen shots because I would I would give you a very close game in that in that respect. I could you know I'd be tough to beat. Because I can, you know, when I'm on, I can chip and putt it around and sort of, you know, get around the course. You had some good. I was impressed by your bunker play. I have to say, you obviously get a lot of practice. And so I get a lot of practice. Yes. I, thought, I thought your bunker play was very impressive. Well, indeed. Let's see. There we go. And we'll leave it at that. That's uh, that. That yeah. could be the little. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. That's one positive uh, assessment there. So yes, it was a great experience to go and play Carnoustie. Owen had to, you know, rather rudely dash off to get an early flight after the round. So. I was lucky enough to have a tour around the new clubhouse at Carnoustie. If you aren't too familiar with Carnoustie itself, they've opened up a new clubhouse uh, this year, actually really only in the past month or so. It's quite an impressive facility next to the first tee, which has home is now home to the pro shop. They've got a, a rather nice restaurant upstairs called the Rookery, which is a tremendous panoramic view across the whole property and the whole expanse of the links. And they also have these, uh, they have seven simulators uh, downstairs, which are, going to be, uh, the hope, will be used uh, quite extensively during the winter time, particularly by local children who will have free access to it and that sort of thing. So it's a very admirable uh, venture, and it certainly will be a very impressive facility. I'm sure that it will be kind of showcased, obviously, during the Open this year. And what they hope at Carnoustie is they have a five-star golf course, 
now they're hoping they have a five-star overall experience, which perhaps they maybe lacked before. So we wish them well with that. And certainly, if you go to Carnoustie, it's worth checking out because it's a really, really impressive place and uh, something that Owen didn't have a chance to go have a tour around. But uh, you'll have, have features about that on Golf Shake as well coming up. We've got some pictures we took from there and a little bit of a chat about what it, what it's there for, what they hope to achieve with that. And uh, yeah, certainly if you go to Carnoustie, the golf course is obviously great, as we've discussed. Um, but and now they have a facility that actually reflects the quality of the of the of the actual venue itself. So it's a it's certainly worth uh, worth experiencing. So finally, on Carnoustie, before we, before we move on now to the the BMW PGA. So you mentioned obviously Carnoustie, you were going into it. Perhaps you weren't necessarily blown away by the the idea of Carnoustie. Thought yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be impressive, but maybe it's not going to be the most memorable golf course I've ever played in the world. Well, you've played a lot of golf courses across the world, Owen. Where does Carnoustie sit? Is it in the top bracket for you? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. 100% in the top bracket. Uh, I'd probably have it in my top five, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was really, really good. A lot better. You know, I don't know what its reputation is. The problem is, I think, almost that open where it was um, the Carnasty type yeah. thing and the rough was up and they messed the rough up by, by putting fertiliser on it too early and, and it got brutal. I think that's almost tarnished it in, a, in an unfair way and it's a lot better golf course than that the rough wasn't particularly up when we played it'd be very interesting to see whether it gets up for the open um they've also got some good growing weather now in the uk so it'd be really interesting to see. but i thought it was a really really good test of golf and a very you know really fair test of golf and i think um yeah i'd put it i'd put it right up there as a championship links course as, as good as pretty much anything i play yeah well ha- so ha- yeah high, high yeah. praise indeed so you mentioned your top five there what's number one yeah What's number one, Owen? Come on. Burtdale. Burtdale. Every day of the week is Burtdale. That's it. There we go. I knew that was going to be the yeah, answer. Yeah, I'm afraid. I haven't played, I haven't played uh, Muirfield, which is the other one that a lot of people uh, think is very, very... A lot, of, a lot of the kind of tour pros would say those two are probably their favourite. Um, so I haven't played Muirfield, but uh, yeah, Burtdale would be my number one. But Carnoustie would be right in the top five. Certainly a lot better than... For me, better than St George's, better than Lytham, better than Royal Liverpool, um, you know, better than Troon. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's right up there as an open golf course. Yeah, I I would certainly say it's definitely up there, and I do like how the fact you you actually neglected to say it's better than St Andrews, as you know, I would. Well, St Andrews is a strange case, though, isn't it? Because it's you know, if you put St Andrews somewhere else, it wouldn't it wouldn't be you know, right up there, you know, let's be frank about it. I think a lot of people would say that. I know you probably disagree, Kieran, but St Andrews is a, is a very different thing altogether, a different animal in terms of what it is and where it is and what it means to you as a golfer to play it. So I think it's really, really hard to rate St Andrews along with all the other open venues for me. Mm. I, I, think that's, I think that's true to an extent in terms of obviously you can't separate the location and the history from St Andrews that makes so much of it. But I actually think St Andrews itself is such a unique golf course in the way it played, the way it's laid out, that it would still be quite striking wherever it was. Uh, it might not quite have the same uh, allure to people, obviously, if it wasn't where it was. But I think as a golf course itself and how influential it was and still remains in terms of golf course design, now I think it's, it still has that reputation. That indeed, actually, if you watched the PGA Tour last week uh, from the Byron Nelson uh, Trinity, the golf course they played there, the golf club there in Texas and Dallas, that golf course, which is kind of an American link style course, Ben Crenshaw and Bill Kerr designed it, and they spoke about how the old course was indeed a massive influencer on that. Uh, so I, th- I think with the old course, Kieran, is it struggles? It 
it's in a constant struggle to keep up with the the modernising of the game. Uh, whereas I would say Carnoustie is more of a championship test for the modern golfer. I think is is a proper you know it's probably a fair way to assess it. It's a more modern challenge, although it's a very old golf course. It's a more modern challenge for me than maybe St Andrews presents itself. So so if you you know it, the skills that maybe the guys need around Carnoustie are transferable from say US Open mm-hmm. to Carnoustie, whereas St Andrews is a bit of a different different beast altogether. So. That's kind of what I mean. It's a strange. It's a strange one, but that's what that's what I mean by, the, by yeah, that. Yeah, I think. I, I, yeah, I think there's a there's a difference between obviously the challenge of a golf course and necessarily whether a golf course is particularly great or not. You can, you can make a golf course very difficult very easily. Uh, whether that makes it great or not is another thing altogether. But I think Carnoustie actually is a rare breed where it's a difficult golf course, but it's also a great one in terms of its layout and the way the holes play and the options that are presented there, whereas St Andrews presents you with a variety of options, but on a calm day, it's you know a pitch and putt course these days for a lot of the tour pros. However, that said, I've always kind of said that um, if you play St Andrews in a windy day, compared to where it is on a calm day, I'm not sure there's a golf course anywhere else that quite jumps up in difficulty as much as it does. It becomes an extremely difficult course in the windy day because it's so hard to get the ball anywhere near the hole because the greens are so large. And we've seen that in the past when obviously the opens where when it's a calm day, pars practically 68. On a windy day, it could be 10 shots higher than that. It could become extremely difficult, as of course Carnoustie will on a, on a windy day if we get that in the summertime in July. So yeah, the Open Championship this year will be a great showcase for Carnoustie and the whole area one of the great open tests. It'll be a, a tremendous venue and we've experienced it now for ourselves. We'll talk about it again. We get towards the open and of course when we get towards that time of year we'll also have all the great features and videos from Carnoustie and you can see Owen play the last three holes at Carnoustie and talk you through it all and perhaps get some insight as to what the players themselves will be experiencing when they're there on Championship Sunday at this year's Open. Of course, Owen, this week it's all about the BMW PGA Championship from Wentworth. As I said earlier in the show, obviously an event that still has the tag of being the flagship tournament on the European Tour. Obviously, the European Tour is based there. It has a great history to it. It's been held at Wentworth now for a long time, decades. So many great players have won there. It's always kind of a a great highlight of this time of year. Uh, The weather always seems to, certainly in recent years, always seems to actually be quite good for Wentworth for some reason. It all seems to kind of roll into place where it's quite a good showpiece. The, the trees are all kind of illuminated there. Of course, it could be the fact that you know my birthday is this week and the weather is always going to be good for that. Kind of the cosmic energy there coming together to create the, the blue skies above. So if the weather's nice this week, it's probably to do, to do with me, kind of, uh, spiritually speaking. So um, yeah, Wentworth obviously owned an event with a great history. And, and heritage. It's been part of the calendar for, for so long now. A lot of golfers in that part of the world, they were kind of introduced to the game there and also at the old world match play at Wentworth as well. These two events are kind of synonymous in British golf for a long time and indeed the European Tour. But, of course, in recent years, as we all kind of know, the European Tour has become more international, more global, Really, the biggest events now are certainly money-wise are held practically in the Middle East. You know, obviously, it used to be the race to Dubai; it still exists. But now it's more of the the Rolex series, and uh, a lot of these big money events are now in the Middle East and, of course, in Asia. Well, for the WGC they have there and that sort of thing. And indeed, Keith Pelly, the 
European Tour chief executive a couple of years ago, perhaps maybe something you, didn't, you might regret now, but at the time he said that the, the BMW was no longer the flagship event on the European Tour. It was indeed the Dubai World Championship. You kind of backtracked from that a little bit afterwards, but perhaps there was an element of truth there. So, Owen, obviously the BMW PGA, as I said, it's synonymous in British golf, has a great history of people, but has the event lost its luster? Ah, uh, maybe. Go on, have an opinion. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. I, I used to look forward to the World Match Play more than the BMW, I have to say. Um, I think the course isn't great, mm-hmm. frankly. And I don't, and I think that's hurt the event massively. I think the greens are iffy. You know, my home greens, I live maybe an hour and hour and 20 minutes drive from, from Wentworth, and the greens are seeding like crazy. The Metagrass. Uh, is there at the moment and I think they've had a lot of problems with that I know they've changed the grass and the greens the last couple of years but the, the metal grass will, there's nothing they can do to stop that getting in there um, and they'll be seeding and 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 it's not a great time to to have it uh, necessarily on a British golf course if you want great great greens so it needs to be in the middle of summer when that stops so I think the course itself is not got the great greatest reputation amongst the players. I think it's beautiful to watch on TV and it's a great course to to walk around and be there. But I think that's got a problem. You know, some of the changes that they made, I think, you know, they've, they've ruined some of the holes for me. 18's not what it was. What what the problem was with loads of players making eagle to, to win a tournament, I've got no idea. But obviously they saw fit that that wasn't acceptable um, for some strange reason. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just not what it was in, in that regard. So because of the course, because of maybe even in its schedule when it is, um, it comes now, coming, I know the players is moving, it's coming soon after the players. I, I think it's struggling to attract uh, a lot of a lot of the world's top, top players, and that's a worry for the European Tour, it has to be. Um, they really need their flagship tour to be just like the players is in in the US, attracting the you know most of the top fifty in the world, and it's definitely not doing that. So it's something the European Tour need to address and need to address quite quickly. Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, the field isn't at the same level of the, of the Players Championship. You know, Rory McIlroy is really headlining the field this week. He's the only member of the world's top ten in the field. You also have Tommy Fleetwood there, Paul Casey, Alex Noren, and Tyrrell Hatton. They're the only players in the top twenty in the field but Ian Poulter's there so all is good so we're happy with that so that's good Everyone, everyone's everyone's going to happy about that so um, but yeah the golf course itself obviously has had some changes in the past few years which haven't all been uh, well received to say the least a lot of the players again don't like the greens very much they've all kind of talked about that in the past and uh, so the golf course doesn't have the perhaps the reputation that perhaps the event itself would, would, would deserve but as a venue obviously it has an iconic nature to it but of course, the golf club itself is very exclusive and very elitist. Is that the kind of venue you want to be promoting the flagship event in this in this instance? Perhaps not. So it, I think there are questions about the BMW PGA going forward in terms of where it's going to sit. And of course, you mentioned the scheduling there, Owen. This is, this is the last year the BMW PGA will be held in May uh, from next year because uh, wow. the US PGA yeah. Championship, as many people will know, is moving from August to May from next year, it will become the second major on the calendar. The Players' Championship, as Owen said, there will be moving from May back to March, which is where it used to be played. And the BMW PG will move from May until September. So, well, I, I was, that's a I was about time. to ask you there, you frankly. mentioned the Greens, obviously. Is that a better time than having it in May? 
Yeah, definitely. I think the golf course will be in better shape. You know, May, May. You know, this time in May, we just had a pretty rough winter uh, here in the UK. It's pretty early for golf courses to be at their peak. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think in September there's a much bigger guarantee that the course will be in better condition, uh, which I think is a really good thing. So I think that will be a better spot. I mean, it creates a, a greater finale to the season for the European Tour as well. Obviously, moving towards their kind of Dubai or their 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 series there. This is part of the Rolex series. I think it it adds to that build towards the end of the season. So I think it is a better spot, definitely. So it would be strange it not mm, being yeah, in May. That's absolutely. certain. And um, yeah, well, it has, nice of lot. course, that's kind of part of the calendar in that respect, but it will be changing next year. And that might actually benefit it for a number of reasons. Obviously, the golf course will be in better condition at that time of year, but also you might get a better feel because, as Owen said earlier, at this time of year, you're right in the midst of kind of the major season where you have, obviously, you've just had the players, the US Open's coming up. When you come to late September, you know, the, the majors are long gone. Of course, by next year, the Open will be the last major of the year, which seems kind of mind-blowing right now to try and get head around that. That's what it will be next year. There's no Ryder Cup next year. And so once the FedEx playoffs are finished in the US, which is about early September, the European Tour will be after that, the BMW. So maybe you'll get a stronger field for that uh, next year. So. Yeah, I think if you if you look at the scheduling, Kieran, it's a problem right now because you kind of had the, the – you know, if you look at the way the top world's top 50 would schedule, they'd go – they might build into the Masters, come down a bit after the Masters, take a little bit of time off, build up into the players. And you're right now in a period where they're taking a break before mm-hmm. they're building into the US Open. So it's a pretty terrible time. If you want to track the world's top 50, really isn't a good time to have them playing playing a top, top-class golf tournament two weeks after the players. It's a really odd, odd time for them to try and peak for. You know they're going to take a week off after the players. Almost, it'd almost be better to have it the week straight mm. after the players in a way. Um, but it, yeah, it's a, it's not time for them to have it. It doesn't really work for for, for no, the I think that's 50, right. I and uh, perhaps I uh, say that the scheduling change might actually be beneficial in that respect. And maybe we said the event has kind of lost part of its maybe standing it once had on the tour. Perhaps this could be the making of it again. You never know. We have to wait and see. Obviously, proof will be when it, when it gets there and as to what field we get next September, what the golf course plays like. Maybe it will actually be the making of the BMW PGA once again. And that would be obviously a good thing for, for golf in England because obviously there aren't too many uh, big events uh, on the circuit anymore for it. So that would be a good thing to have there. But of course, uh, the, the BMW PGA is the first event on the 8th event Rolex series in the European Tour. You also have the Italian Open next week. Then in the summer you have the Open de France, the Irish Open, the Scottish Open. Then in the autumn you have the Turkish Open, the Nedbank Golf Challenge and also the Dubai World Championship. They are the eight events on the series which are big, big money, big prize funds. They kind of they stand really alone on the European Tour now. There's almost like two European tours. There's a one that I guess you can say that Rory McIlroy goes and plays, which would be these eight events and the ones in Dubai and stuff like that earlier in the year. And then there's the one that, I don't know, Richard Bland goes and plays, which is like everywhere else. So the events nobody goes to or watches. So it's, it's, it's kind of two. And that's not to do with Richard Bland, by the way. No, nothing, no slight on him. So um, maybe it is. We don't know. But uh, no. Obviously not, but um, so yeah, there there are two different European tours. This is kind of the beginning of this year's kind of bit, the big events, the ones that really kind of draw eyes and attention. But Owen, you mentioned to me earlier on, and as part of your travels recently, you were in Ireland to have a look around there. 
and you went and saw some of the golf courses there. And obviously, uh, the Irish Open uh, last year was held at Port Stewart Golf Links. This year, it's going to be held at Ballyliffin, and next year at La Hinch. Obviously, an event that's you know got a good field now. Rory's behind it. It's obviously you know it's played on different golf courses each year. Golf courses that people really like. Uh, it goes in different parts of the country. Obviously, we've also seen uh, the Scottish Open do that as well in Scotland. And of course, you have the British Masters. It goes around some of the maybe more of the resort kind of courses in the UK, the kind of inland courses. So how do you see these events that switch venues compared to Wentworth? Well, I just think, I, I think that the European tour could learn loads from this. I just, you know, and this is backed by uh, the government in Ireland, in effect. You know, this is Tourism Ireland as well being part of this. Um, and we're luck- we're fortunate enough that every year there is a, a press invite, a media invite to go and play the Irish Open venue um, in kind of late spring, you know, middle of spring, um, and experience these venues. And I just think it showcases the best of what Ireland has to offer from a golfing point of view. Um I think they switch it around between the north and the south quite a bit, which is which is good to see as well. And it brings golf to different parts of the country. And I think if you look at what's happened in England in particular with the BMW, I mean the BMW would, if they did this in theory, would go all around Europe. I mean it's a it's a European mm. tour thing, not not an English thing or a British thing. So it'd be interesting. But when I look at what what is being showcased in terms of what. England in particular has to offer, um, you know, for golfers from around the world. We're just doing a terrible, terrible job of doing it. And there's some great golf courses all around the country uh, that could be holding uh, European tour events that are just never, ever showcased. And, you know, the English, the the British Masters just is is obviously following the money. And and the golf course it's going to, while while they're, they're good, they're not great golf courses often exception this year because it's at um i've forgotten the course now but um it, it's down heath. south at a very good heathland course <laughs> walton heath walton heath thank you um so that's that's maybe what i'd like to see more of a showcase mm. of some of the great golf courses uh that the you know uh we have to offer here um and, I, and you know walton heath again is in southeast of england i think it's just a bit sad that this event Maybe the flagship of the European Tour has been in the southeast of England, south of the you know, south of the M4 corridor. You know, it's very very difficult. Anyone who lives kind of north of London is finding it really difficult to get to this event. So it'd be great to move it around the country, around you know, not just as these big resort courses to some really good quality, high level golf courses, some of the best courses in the world that we just never get to see showcased. So um, I don't not sure it'll ever happen because it would require the money men to get it right. But uh, I just look at what Ireland do and Scotland do. And Ireland's are great. You know, they know that people are watching all over the world. They get massive crowds and they just seem to be doing it right. And we don't seem to be doing yeah, it that well Yeah, I think it's true. Well and right again, now. like you said, there is kind of an economic reality to these things. But yeah, in terms of the, the venues and the courses, you can really showcase courses that perhaps they aren't on the open rotor. They aren't well known in that respect. Obviously, they're highly regarded. You see these courses in the top 100, perhaps you haven't seen on television. This could be a way of changing that. And again, like you say, bringing golf to different parts of the country. Obviously, we've had the British Masters at Close House and the good crowds there. But I think back to the uh, last year's Open, that your favourite course, Royal Birkdale, where the, the crowds were incredible there. And because uh, the northwest of England has been starved of 
top level golf and you have some huge population centers right there on their doorstep and they haven't seen that tour level golf really since the open was previously uh, back in the well when it was when it was living and so on so it's uh yeah i think there's certainly an argument to that and i think actually taking the, the bmw pga around the around the continent even would be quite an exciting thing and again it would obviously fit into that flagship banner uh, for the european tour um but again it obviously comes down to obviously the, the change in the schedule next year the interest and see how that how that changes the perception of the event and its kind of status. It could have a huge benefit to it. We'll have to wait and see. Of course, there's going to be, as I said, there's going to be huge changes to the golf calendar next year. Who knows? Maybe the Players' Championship will suddenly be diminished by going down to March again. You know, in a you know, kind of early spring there, and maybe it's not the golf course there won't be quite as good. You know, it's, you know, a lot of things are going to be different. How will the US PGA, which is kind of the ugly sister of the of the majors, how will it change its status being the second major on the calendar? So will the US Open be diminished, therefore? So it's, it's all kind of uh, interesting going forward in that respect. So yeah, I think the, the BMW PGA at Wentworth has, still, has a, still has a place uh, in kind of the hearts of British golfers, but perhaps it isn't fully utilising that and it's not maybe what it was going back 15, 20, 25 years ago when all the big name players, particularly European players, played in it and it really had kind of a celebratory feel to it. Now, perhaps that's been diminished. So hopefully that will change with the, the schedule alteration next year. So, Owen, we have waffled on quite extensively on this podcast and uh, lots to discuss. Obviously, we'll have after a long break. We will come back to our Carnoustie discussion when we get back towards uh, the Open this July. You'll see lots of content on the website and on YouTube uh, about Carnoustie playing the last three holes, the bunkering that will be featured on the website about Carnoustie, Carnoustie Review, looking at the new clubhouse there as well. And again, as Owen hinted at earlier, lots of content going to be coming onto the website in the coming weeks and months based around the golfing odyssey, based around putter fitting, a putter masterclass, and you're learning from Steve North, the head pro at the Lynx Trust, and also seeing the Himalayas putting green where... I had a hole in one in that course. Just drop it in there. Yeah, very impressive. Right in front, right, right, right on camera, right as Owen was watching. And you know, Owen, as that ball hit the heart of the hole in my head, it was your heart I was hitting. Right in there. Straight, direct hit. That's what I... Yeah, but Kieran, I'm probably going to edit the video, so I'll get the last laugh. You can can cut out the end scores. That'll be be fine. (laughs) Yeah, my one moment of brilliance in the otherwise uh, barren experience. So yes, the golfing experience, uh, golfing odyssey there was great for those guys. Lots to discuss from that. Lots to see in the, in the website going forward, and uh, we'll come back to that in future. Obviously, the BMW Championship this week from Wentworth, the PGA. Again, if you're going there this week, everybody, I hope you enjoy it. If you're watching on TV, you know, hopefully it's good and delivers. Hopefully, have some good weather. And we deliver, you know, a great champion. Obviously, the sponsors would love it if Rory could come through and win that. That would be kind of the the main thing for them. That would be kind of the the dream scenario for them, I would think. Unless you get maybe a an English winner like Tommy Fleetwood coming through, or perhaps uh, Tyrrell Hatton. You never know. So should be an interesting week as always from the BMW PGA. Obviously, we're building towards the US Open and indeed the Open. So it's all happening in the golf world. And of course, as I said at the start of the podcast, you're all now out there tracking your rounds and stats. The weather's here, summer's here, get out and play, track your scores, track your stats, improve your game, and as always, on Golf Ship, we want you to play more and play better, 
My name is Kieran Clark alongside Owen Davis. Until next time, thank you for listening.